Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor for Adweek. And I'm Ko Am. I'm the community editor at Adweek. And uh, this week, we've uh, got our special guest uh, from our coworker team here, uh, David Kaplan, uh, who has played several roles uh, over time and more recently here at Adweek. I believe at the moment you are uh, the interim editor for our performance marketing and uh, brand marketing teams, right? I just checked five minutes ago. Yes, that is still correct. David Co. pleasure to be with you both. It's great to have you on here. Um, this is, uh, I'm just going to be transparent that we are recording this at an incredibly emotional time uh, for us, for America. Um, we are recording this uh, the day after uh, the killing of eight people in Atlanta, which I, I live quite close to Atlanta. And this is this is hurt for uh, a lot of reasons, but especially because six of the victims were women of Asian descent. Uh, there has been so much violence and harassment uh, and just really repulsive uh, behavior against Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders over this past uh, year and plus uh, really fomented a lot by a lot of the political discourse led by Donald Trump and others. Uh, but it has continued uh, past Donald Trump's presidency and uh, to to see the violence reach that level. This was the worst mass shooting in almost two years here in America, uh, and it's it's weighing on uh, many people, but no no one more so than the Asian American Pacific Islander community, uh, who has already been facing so much and dealing with so much. Uh, and I, I wanted to first just say, you know, if you're not part of this community, um, be a part of this conversation. Like, don't don't sit it out. Don't just think this is something happening to other people. This is something happening to your friends, your colleagues, uh, you know, very likely your family as well. And it it is something where all of us play a role in addressing this and keeping it from happening, whether it's standing up in public uh, for strangers who face harassment, whether it's standing up for colleagues and friends, whether it's just being there for people and letting 
your friends and your and your loved ones know that you're thinking about them. And uh, I think no one has been a better voice for that uh, in my life than Co M, uh, my my wonderful co-host and our colleague here, uh, Co. Um, it's tough to ask you to do this, but you you recently published a lot of your thoughts uh, on this issue in Newsweek. Uh, you have shepherded many as as the person overseeing our uh, columns and our opinion columns and guest contributions. You have brought so many wonderful voices uh, to Adweek uh, as part of this discussion for months now. And if if it's okay, I would just like you to kind of tell us a bit about what you're feeling and what you would like the community to really be thinking about. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you, um, David, and for our producer, Nick, um, for facilitating this this conversation. You know, as, as a journalist, you try not to be um, the focus of a conversation. Um, and, but I, I felt compelled after being silent, and that's the stereotype, right? This burdened stereotype of staying silent for Asian Americans. Um, I felt compelled to kind of speak up on behalf of so many um, people in my community that are feeling um, all sorts of emotions, including fear of when we go outside, um, resentment, frustration over uh, what's been called the bamboo ceiling or the glass ceiling, um, anger at the the violence or the portrayal of the the horrible biased portrayal of the violence media, um, and so so it's not just me. Um, there are several Asian American marketers in the community, um, some of them very very high level. Uh, who who are feeling this pain, um, pain that they feel like it's invisible sometimes. Um, and, and it's like we're screaming for some help, right? Uh, so I am inspired by some of the voices that we've been able to publish, um, including Annie Katrina Lee from Twitch, Eric Toda from Facebook, um, and just kind of trying to keep the conversation going and moving the conversation forward so that we can empathize with each other more. Um, you know, since publishing that piece, uh, I've been overwhelmed. Um, a lot of this is triggering in terms of having to to look at our news feeds, in terms of um, people finally asking us, like, hey, what can I do for you? Um and I think that's key, right? Uh, and and maybe even now, like not starting to feel this token burden of being, having the one to explain why I feel this way. Um, and I am really uh, encouraged by the solidarity that I see among um, people of color, men of color, and then people outside the direct community, uh, like you, David, who's, who's, who speak up for, for everybody. Um, so, you know, I've had breakdowns. I've had moments of, believe it or not, cursing. I was in a healing circle um, yesterday with two therapists of color. It was heartbreaking to hear them just wailing, right, for the space that they've so needed in carrying other people's um, sadness uh, and I was just just cursing 
Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's it's hard. It's a hard time, and it's going to take a while for everyone to recover, as it does, you know, when you are grieving, when you are processing really big things that um, in in the framework of a pandemic. Um, so that's that's kind of where I'm at on on this in this week. Um, I'm okay to work. I've known how to push aside my emotions to work. Um, but there were, there were moments where I have broken down and that's okay. That's okay. Now, one thing that has been, I was going to say helpful. I mean, that makes it sound like, like we, we outside of the Asian American Pacific Islander community are owed anything. We're certainly not. Uh, I, I definitely appreciate those who've taken the time to say how we can be part of the support network uh, for others. And again, this is something where you have been such an inspiration for me of just, you know, something, I'm, I'm not young, uh, but I will say that something that has taken me a long time to realize is that it's it's really easy to handle to not be there for people in the way that you later wish you had been, right? Like that's one of the easiest regrets on earth, and everyone has that regret. Uh, and all you can do is learn from it, right? You you miss out on the opportunity to be there for someone, and it's like it's like I always say, you know, always go to the funeral, right? Like it's one of those things where you can choose not to, and you you can have a million reasons for not going to a funeral, and and you'll almost always regret it. Um, and so it's. This is one of those cases where we've seen so many terrible things happen over this past year. Uh, it's been such a, an incredibly tough time for so many communities in America. And each time, I, I, a few weeks later, I think I should have done more. I should have, I should have been there for people. And so with that, I mean, what are some of the things? I mean, I, just to just to put it out there, like, what do you think, you, what do you wish more people would do outside of the community just to show support and to be there? Yeah, I mean, some of the bigger things that people have talked about is go donate to the GoFundMe for Stop AAPI Hate. Great. Um, why not speak up to your CEO and say, we need to do something so that I, for example, don't need to, right? Um, I remember when... A bartender I knew uh, lost his job in the pandemic. And I was like, yo, here's like some money through Venmo. Like you you need something like let me know and, you know, go get yourself a drink. In in the 12 hours that I posted it and one of my suggestions was like, go have virtual coffee or go send some a friend your cof- a coffee. Two people in the Adweek community sent me a Starbucks gift card. Not that I needed it, right? But I was like, oh my God, yes. I It, it was just an immediate, tangible way for me to feel supported. Um, and, you know, other things that you can do, uh, talk to your family and friends. I mean, I think what we're hoping is we know who the good people are. We're trying to reach, you know, in, in the same way with politics and whatnot, we're trying to reach the people who don't know about it. I've gotten messages about, I didn't know what to say, but I just wanted to reach out, or I didn't know that you were going through all of this. Thank you for enlightening me. Um, hearing that, that um, made bearing my soul out on the page absolutely worth it. Just even change, help change 
one person's view on something that they didn't recognize was there before. Um, and yeah, th I will say like, just for stronger language, this is like a funeral. Eight, eight people were killed. This is a funeral. Um, so, so please, yes, go to the funeral, send flowers, uh, write an empathy card or sympathy card, um, call, bring casserole or boba for that matter. Um, that's, that's kind of what, what I'll say for now in, in, in the way that my brain is at the moment. Um, yeah. Or even just like David Kaplan, who has always, always, always been an ardent supporter of mine in the newsroom. And he has spoken up for me beyond this week. Um, and so when I, I know that when he says something to me, it's always like heartfelt as well. So Kaplan, thank you for that. It's weird. We have two Davids on here. So <laughs> just go with last name. Uh, you can tell the difference. But Ko, as, as David already said, you are always an inspiration on so many topics. Obviously, this this week's tragedy uh, following a lot, a lot, way too long a line of, of recent tragedies. Um, and you have uh you know one thing i would wanted to say to you i feel like you were probably getting so many messages today one thing i wanted to say to you was how you know you know apart from your inspiration the the idea of of how this change happens like and as as david was just asking like what what do you want to see what what can people do and i think one of the things you know taking inspiration from you and then from there the way things change is when when certain behaviors uh we're not just talking about obviously murders, but the the behaviors and attitudes that allow these murders and these attacks to happen. Once it becomes completely unacceptable, that's when things change. And the idea that we're not going to be able to change the the hearts and minds of people who have truly twisted psyches, but the the ability to act on those twisted psyches can be constrained even if they're not changed. The idea that this person thought he could go to uh, three uh, uh, you know, spas or massage parlors and, and attack women because for whatever, for whatever twisted reason, I'm not even you know, dignify his claims, but the idea that he, th he thought that would be accepted in his community if that was if his community, whether they you know embrace the ideas that I think the three of us share or not, the idea is that there are lines that can't be crossed, and he felt he could cross those lines. The idea, as more of us speak out, more of us share you know stories, and it seems like such a small thing to retweet something or to or even it's so hard you want to write an article as so beautiful as you did with with the Newsweek piece, and so brilliant that you know you think how can anyone with half a mind see this and not think, God, this is insane. I've I've got to, you know, talk to people who who've espoused, you know, you know, even the most mild forms of of racism. And not that there is any mild form of racism, but the, the idea that, you know, someone could see this and not think, what what is wrong with the society? The idea is that knowing that there one, it is not accepted anywhere. You can't get away with it, even if the police treat you nicely than they would if you were maybe someone of another race. The idea is that this is this is unacceptable, and as people speak out, that that fills the void that has been there for for too long against Asian American and Pacific Islanders, and and people 
other people who have been attacked, other people of other races and other marginalized groups. Well, and, and you, you know, you point out that this, this perpetrator, you know, probably thought that, that his mindset would be understood, which is heinous. But then you see, you know, the way that the law enforcement talks about it, and he's right. They frame it in exactly the way he was hoping it would be framed. Uh, and that's the part that, it's not the one part, but it's like, I can't stop feeling nauseous about that. Because the the unfortunate reality, and this is a tough thing as a parent to tell your kids, is that evil's going to happen, right? And you can't, you can't always stop it. Uh, and that's a that's a real shitty part of this world, um, but it's it just is a thing that all of us have to realize. What sucks is when the people that are supposed to look out for us and that are supposed to protect us, and th- this is no shock probably to a lot of folks in in New York listening to this, and I'm sure it's true of other cities. But I have so many friends in New York who've been sharing their stories. Right, their short their stories of assault. Uh, and violence uh, that they've faced over the last few years. And there is not one of those stories where the police took it seriously. I've yet to see one, and in most cases, the police were just the worst. Like, just, well, it sounds like this was a robbery. Like, five people don't beat the shit out of one person. Don't, like, cherry-pick one person. That's a that's not a robbery, you know? Um, just, that's... I, I and I, I just before you know I, I don't want us to spend too long on this not because it's not it's it is a topic I, I do want to spend a whole hour on um, but also I don't want to if I'm being honest I don't want Co to have to you know to this is this is a lot to ask of anybody to and I'm so honored I'm just straight up um, uh, I'm just it means a lot that you would. Um, that you would share what you're going through with us, that you would share it in writing, that you would share it on the podcast. And I I just want to say again, like to everyone else, just be, be there, be there, be a part of this, say, say things like, even if you're afraid you might get it wrong or whatever, if your heart is in the right place and you're standing up for people. And I I don't want to sound like I'm kind of subtweeting something, (laughs) but like there was this, there was this campaign going around the other day, and it wasn't specific to this issue, but it was basically someone trying to get uh, men, I can't remember if it was specific to white men, but basically trying to get them to commit to silence, to like stop talking to help elevate women's voices. And I like that goal, of course. Um, I did not like that um, approach, right? Because I'm like, okay, yes, amplify voices. But at the same time, if you just get another excuse to be silent, there's plenty of those. I'm watching. I'm watching white dudes find plenty of excuses to be silent every every day, whether they think they're being respectful, whether they think it doesn't address them or you know doesn't affect them. So no, it's like I I just want I I don't think Asian American Pacific Islanders should have to carry this burden alone. Uh, so. So thank thank you again, Co. For well, and David, for, as you've proven, you uh, Co. is not carrying on you there as well. And I think the way the other way things change is it's more than one person. It's it's organizing, and it's that's the only way to deal with. Again, it is to use the term systemic. 
that's that's how that's how you beat it back by everyone of who who is sane banding together organizing and continuing to fill that void and to you know take away that silence and to let it be known and this is you know ties into the way advertising works to have that message repeated uh until it no longer needs to be and hopefully that will be soon but you know it, it needs to be repeated and you know I'm with you both. Yeah. And I, I, I certainly don't um, feel alone right now, um, you know, in, in some positive ways, but also in some sad ways. Um, but uh, I, I do want to uh, kind of be mindful of my own, um, you know, emotional threshold on this today in, in terms of just rehashing or kind of the thing with trauma is like reliving, right? Um, so I would like to, to move on to other things that we might be passionate about in the marketing world, um, knowing that it's totally okay to, you know, like if your friend, like, for example, if your friend is like, I really want to talk about the bachelor dude, just let them, right. Let them have it. Like (laughs) I, I watched, I watched, um, a Chappelle sketch last night, like just to get my mind off things. Um, so, so we can, I, this isn't the last conversation, but we can certainly move on for now. Let's uh, let's take a little break and just kind of just a big deep sigh, and then we will be right back <laughs> to uh, to carry on. So, be right back. Oh, welcome back, and we are still here with David Kaplan, our interim brand and performance marketing editor. Um, and before we, we get back to him, I just wanted to, to let you know that we do have another print issue uh, coming out uh, March 23rd. So it is all about honoring um, various performance marketing campaigns, including uh, the Peloton's homecoming collaboration with Beyonce, uh, which is the campaign of the year for social media, and the OnePlus and T-Mobile um, experiential campaign as well. And then we'll have um, David talk about uh, Mark Pritchard being the performance marketer of the year from PNG. But first, I also wanted to let you know that we do have a new um, colonist network. We're always working on kind of new things and new voices uh, here at Adweek. And the Colonist Network will be a group of um, C-suite level uh, experts who will regularly share their insights into their processes on how they think about everything from experiential to performance marketing, uh, to social, to DEI, to Amazon advertising. Um, So we'll hope that you'll check that out in addition to um, the voice pieces that we still regularly uh, put out there. So with that being said... David Kaplan, can, can I, Kaplan, can I throw a dumb question at you? <laughs> and and I will, I will just because I My always feel kind. Like this is like level setting for some of us because I'm not afraid to ask the dumb questions. I will always ask them. Do um, it. I'm going to ask and then I'm going to attempt to answer and you tell me how off I am. What is performance <laughs> marketing? And then I'm going to attempt to answer by saying, from my understanding, it is it is marketing that is based where you pay based on how it performed. You don't just say, here's $20,000, run some TV ads. You say, you know, here's $20,000 and then you pay per click or you pay per view. Like that's how close am I on? I think you are, I think you are 
spot on. I think that is the the classic definition. Um, for the section, I've tried to open that up a little bit since it's always been, a, there's been a lot of overlaps. There's a lot of, you know, there's like, what, 10 verticals uh, that Adweek has divided into and then through, through that multiple categories. So for me, I've tried to one carve out a niche between what uh, the programmatic ad tech side does and this this kind of middle ground area. But I think you basically hit the nail on the head that uh, it is marketing that is, you know, intensely measurable one by one. So the way I've tried to open it up to not be so niche is to look at the, the strategies um, and supporting technologies that influence customer relationships. Customer relationships, that's kind of at the core of what is being paid for. That's the performance part, I guess. Um, you know, you think of lead generation is classic, you know, what you just described, classic performance marketing. Um, it's also you know, looking at SEO, SEM, uh, you know, direct response, direct mail, one of the older, oldest performance marketing uh you know, tech, technologies, if we'll call it that, or or at least strategies. Uh, and then ultimately looking at, yes, exper- experiential marketing, the idea that this also fits into this hazy area where it's not about an ad campaign, but it's this kind of ongoing relationship building one-to-one relationship that marketers want to achieve. So it's it's looking at those tools and and attributes that go into those one-to-one relationships that is what <laughs> as i said go goes to those the, the those things that fit in off to the side of what traditional advertising will do yeah, sorry yeah. for the long-winded answer yeah. on that one I, to a very smart question i will say it's also it sounds like the recurring theme i hear from people who are active in this space is just that it's not for the faint of heart um and I 100% believe that. Like when, when I worked at an agency for for quite a few years, um, I mostly worked on just traditional creative campaigns, right? Like you would you would just make a campaign and the campaign would live out there and you would find some excuses for why you thought that it was effective, right? You would say like it moved brand awareness from 3.1% to 3.2% or some nonsense. And with performance marketing, you don't have that. And direct, so I worked on direct mail sometimes and whoo, that's a terrifying way to live. Because basically, like, it, it, well, I was going to name my client. I don't know if I don't know if I'm a, a major corporation was my client, and it was just num. It was just numbers. It was just like the the ad you made got sorted in a spreadsheet by by effectiveness and whatever was at the top. Uh, they they used what's called a champion challenger model, where if you were the champion, your your piece continued in rotation. It stayed. It was. It kept being circulated as direct mail, and then you would have challengers until something toppled the champion. And I remember there was like a two month or three month period where I had the champion for like this entire massive corporation. And it's like cool, but at the same time, very like Highlander. Like you're always ready for someone to come along and chop off your head, like right behind you of of like outperforming. It's so competitive. And when the numbers, like I've heard this a lot about. Uh, paid search campaigns or whatever it is that when the numbers start to go down and you have like no control over it, like you can move some things around, you can, but it's just like Google made a change and now none of your ads work and you are out of work. Like you, and and people like apparently has the highest, um, highest like rating ra- ratio of, uh, of depression 
like there are all these mental health issues specific to performance marketing because it's a it is just a live by the numbers die by the numbers job this sounds like um hunger games <laughs> like it's so cutthroat I mean, it's interesting that mark pritchard is the performance marketer of the year because when i think about him i think of him as like just so so much heart and so gentle but like is he cutthroat like what what is he really like and why uh, did he get this award i i was very happy he I've, I've known Mark through various uh, through various points throughout the years. My years do, doing uh, reporting on advertising, been doing for like you know really twenty years since I started at Adweek actually then, um, and so I can very very much say uh, no matter how dumb my questions have been to him, he's always been incredibly gracious and and easygoing. So always appreciate that. Um, I will say one of the things we did talk about was I was. Uh, you know, it, it, looking back at why he is the performance marketer of the year, uh, we talked about this campaign he he uh, that Procter and Gamble started last year called "Lead with Love," which we you know could all use right after, especially these days, and in in how he was you know able to talk about that in terms of you know, measure putting some sort of metric to acts of good that that they wanted to see. And I think it's it seems hard to to quantify you know something as as you know as very hazy as as a good. It's kind of something very subjective. Uh but they were they wanted to promote uh they want to connect uh you know their consumers values most most of most of their consumers values they're such a huge company everyone pretty much buy something from Procter and Gamble at some point and and have that company reflected in, in a way that is not this kind of jumping on the bandwagon that everyone thinks like oh we have to sort of represent this this you know deeper standard of what is expected of a good company and a company that people will continue wanting to support or very easily can start a campaign to reject as we've seen with say controversies of you know, involving say, you know, just off the top of my head, Goya brands and their and their CEOs support for Trump, uh, that sort of thing. And so, f- for them, you know, being able to to measure that was a way of, in keeping with this hyper vigilant idea of being able to just you know get quantify everything, but also to keep it open and not. Not not so rigid. So that's I think that he's trying to do a lot of balancing acts, and I think that's also goes into why he would be named Performance Marketer of the Year because this idea of you know it's not just numbers; it's got to have some meaning. And there's and in order to drive those numbers, other things that you really can't quite put a metric to as precisely as you can with a click. is also something that, that he's been able to incorporate. So Mark Pritchard, nice guy, performance marketer of the year. But that's not obviously the only reason. Uh, he he also talked about you know the idea that fascinated me in terms of measuring measuring you know uh, you know pro, you know consumer packaged goods products and how well it was tied to its to their advertising was looking at how last year demand for a consumer pro, uh, consumer 
packaged goods just obviously hit the ceiling as people were forced to stay home and, and freaked out to buy as many, you know, canned goods and pampers and other things like that. Uh, according to NC Solutions, uh, you know, online and in-store CPG rose sales rose 14%. And so what do you do when all the models that you've put into place all these years, you can count on, you know, particular shopping patterns and go by that. What, what do you do when it's blown up? And that's also what I, I wanted to hear him explain in terms of, you know, so everyone's data driven. They're, they, you know, Procter & Gamble uh, know less than anyone else. How do they do that? And he was able to talk about how they were able to slowly move to capture consumer sentiment and then adjust accordingly, which is easier said than done. Yeah, and that's it's been it's been really intriguing to watch Procter and Gamble over the last few years. Like I, I will say that these companies used to be P and G, J and J, you know, all these like umbrella companies. They they used to be just so invisible. Like they had no real, I mean, they were huge. Like you knew, if you had asked me anything about, about Procter & Gamble, um, you know, six, seven years ago, it would have been like, they're big. They have a lot of money. Uh, but I think they've really kind of changed the nature of what it is to be this parent company. And, and they've gotten a bit more top down with these brands instead of just like, yeah, we've got Dove and Dove goes out and does their thing and. You know, we've got Axe and Axe goes out and does Axe's thing. It, it really feels like you're seeing a lot more of this. And, and I feel like P&G's kind of been the, you know, the leader in that space. Uh, but you're seeing it more from Johnson & Johnson now. You're seeing it more from J.M. Smucker, right, is like now a pretty big parent company. They own um, Jif, Smucker, uh, uh, the uh, Folgers, I think Folgers Coffee, Um and, and like several others, and you're seeing them moving more as parent companies and like allocating their their money in a more strategic way that instead of just letting brand managers go nuts. Um, exactly. I think that, and I, you know, these days when people are so media savvy to even if they're not involved in media and advertising at all, they know it. I, I still remember uh, when I first joined Adweek 20 years ago. Uh, I, you know, I maybe heard of Procter and Gamble, Gamble in, a, in a certain sense, but I also always remember how one of the first things I wrote, uh, my editor freaked out because I spelled Procter with an, you know, with a T O R. And he was like, "What are you talking about? This is the most important advertising brand in history. You, you can never spell their name wrong." And I was like, "Well, I didn't you know. I, Procter and Gamble was not that much on my mind before I joined Adweek, but I believe if I joined now, I would have." You know, knowed how to how to spell that. There you go. All right. Well, uh, I ch- I encourage everyone to check out our performance marketing awards winners. It's a uh, new awards here at Adweek, um, and uh, and check out our performance marketing coverage if you're in that. Uh, get to know David Kaplan and his team, um, and uh, as you can tell by us slapping interim in front of all of David's uh, job titles, that uh, you know we're we're moving things around, and it is it says a lot about David and how much faith. Uh, that everyone here has in him to put these very important teams under him while we, uh, 
you know, kind of decide how we're going to be structuring that for the future. So if you're in performance marketing, now's a good time to get to know them and get to be a part of that conversation. So check out those, check out our story uh, on PG and performance marketer of the year. And yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on, on adweek.com. Thank you again so much to Co, uh, to David Kaplan for joining us, uh, to Nick Gardner, our producer, for bringing all this together. This is a tough time to have uh, to have any conversation, uh, much much less one that's specific to what's going on in our lives. And it just means so much to have you all as coworkers and to be able to have this conversation each week. So, thank you, everybody. All right. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, this week's episode is produced by Nick Gardner and edited by Lane McGivney. Uh, if you've not already, uh, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.